She was such a sweet little girl. We'll call her Brittany. She grew up in a home with a really good mother and father. She went to church. They were very active. And it came time for Brittany to go to college. She was going to go to school some 2,500 miles away from her home. And her mother and her father sat her down and said, Brittany, you're going to face some real tough challenges when you get to school. There are going to be some young people there who think drinking is okay, and you're going to find yourself facing a number of young people who really drink heavily. We raised you better than that. Don't get involved in that. Brittany, also you're going to find there's some people who will probably be using some drugs. They're real dangerous. Be careful. Don't let yourself get caught up in that. And Brittany, I know we, we have had a hard time talking about this, but young boys are going to want to use you in a sexual way. And Brittany, you're going to face a lot of challenges, but we think we've done a good job preparing you to go to college. And so Brittany leaves, arrives to school. She makes a number of new friends. Those friends come up and make her feel welcome. And then classes begin and things start going normally. Her roommate, raised a little bit different than her, but still a real nice girl, real friendly, said, Brittany, why don't you go with us? We're, a bunch of us are going to go out and we're going to hang out together by the lake. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, come on. You know, don't, don't be so you know, uptight, let's go, you, you need to get out and, you know, relax a little bit after classes. So Brittany goes, she finds herself going along with the crowd and drinking some. What she doesn't expect is some young man spikes her drink and she finds herself having committed fornication. Brittany is now deeply embarrassed by what she has done. Her mother and daddy told her not to do this. She didn't want to disappoint them. But then Brittany finds out something even worse. She finds out she's pregnant. And Brittany begins to wring her hands because she's so embarrassed now. How is she going to call mama and daddy and say, I know you've spent your life savings trying to send me to school. And I know you warned me against drinking, you warned me against the boys, but here I am, now I'm pregnant. Her roommate and some of her friends begin to say, you know, you need to talk to the boy, you need to tell him. The young man says, go get an abortion, I don't want to be a daddy. And on a whim, because she thinks maybe I need to solve this thing, she goes and gets an abortion. And now she really feels awful. This is against everything that she had been taught as a young girl. Now she finds herself embarrassed, ashamed, and comes along some young girls that say, don't worry. Let us help you. We can see you're down. We can see you're depressed. Go with us. We're having some Bible studies, and we will pray for you. 
and she goes with these newfound friends of hers, and things are a little bit different than how she had been raised in a little small rural town, but she, she thinks these people are really good friends. They care about her. And they tell her, Brittany, the only way that you can really absolve yourself is you've just got to get it all out. Tell us about the, the details of it. What happened? How do people feel about this? And she confides in them that she's drank. She committed fornication. She not only did that, she had an abortion and killed her baby. And they say, but we'll be here for you. We're with you. We'll pray with you. And she finds herself becoming closer and closer and closer with this group. But as she gets closer with her group, they're telling her some things that make some sense. You need to cut yourself off from those people who led you down that bad path. But they also tell her, you need to make sure that you don't have contact with anybody that can potentially make you feel any worse. So instead of going home for Thanksgiving, why don't you go with a group of us because we're going to have a retreat. And I think you may have already figured out, Brittany has just fallen into a cult. The Lord's Church faces battles on many fronts. You know, there's a lot of things the church has to face. False teaching among the congregation. You have to face young people struggling with challenges that they have in their lives in the congregation. But the rise of cults is a very serious one. Now, here's a question on the part of the parents who now realize that their little Brittany is caught up into a cult. Why didn't we teach and warn about those? Why didn't the preacher somewhere along the line explain to us what a cult was? We warned her about alcohol. We warned her about premarital sex. We warned her about all these other things. Why didn't someone warn us about our daughter potentially getting caught up in this? Will we leave our young people vulnerable to those who will prey upon them? Will we at least when we send our children off to school to warn them, not only are there people out there who will set a trap for you to get involved in worldliness, but there's also people out there who will set a trap for you to pull you into their religious organization as well. I want to look at three things in our lesson tonight, and this was a requested lesson. We want to look at the causes of cultism, the characteristics of cults. And then finally, I want us to take our Bibles and to confront it and to be able to understand it to the point we can say, here are some biblical principles 
that will help us be able to conquer. To begin with, what is a cult? If you go to the American Heritage Dictionary, it says it is a religion or a religious sect generally considered to be extremist or false, with its followers often living an unconventional manner under the guidance of an authoritarian, charismatic leader, the followers of such a religion or sect. You know, we're talking about people who do follow something that is religious. You may or may not know that of the cults, there's some older, quote, mainline cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian scientist. There's some more modern ones, Scientology, those who were a part of what was once known as the Crossroads Movement, which morphed into the Boston Movement, which eventually came known as the International Churches of Christ. Oh, yes. Some of them came from among us. You see, they possess the characteristics that we're going to talk about. There's a book that I've got. I've read it two or three times, written by William J. Peterson, called Those Curious New Cults. Dr. Peterson studied cults for years. How they derive, what causes them. And, and it's important to know. And here's what he says about them. And I've just sort of tried to pull out and rephrase some of what he says so that it becomes a little clearer for us. He points out that a lot of organized churches have failed. Young people grow up in a congregation like Bobby Branch, and they go off to college or a university far away, and why is it that some of them get sucked in? Well, he suggested... Part of it is hypocrisy. They look at those of us who are still here and they say, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They'll tell you to live one way, but if you see them out on Saturday night, they're living another life. They'll tell you, be honest, but they'll swindle you at the drop of a hat. He points out that when you look at a lot of organized churches, the charge of being hypocrites is really true. And that's our fault. He also points out that many churches have lost their direction. And he uses a figure of like the church being a vehicle to take people from earth to heaven. In fact, we use that figure quite a bit ourselves. But he had a quote that's on pages 8 and 9 that I thought was really well stated. He says, the dedicated churchmen built beautiful vehicles with power steering and power brakes, but the motor had dropped out. First, they streamlined the design, but that didn't help. They decided to get together and build greater and more monstrous vehicle with all the extras. To the young people who looked on, it was all foolishness. Do you know what has happened in many churches? What is the church? It's the vehicle to get the saved from here on earth to heaven. 
But somehow we've decided the church has to look modern. And the church has to look polished. And he says what we have done, we've, we've added this and we've added that to try to make it more attractive, make it more beautiful. And the young people are looking on and they're saying, this is foolish. A church that has lost its direction. And so now we have churches not concerned about preaching the truth of God's word. They're more interested in this policy and this plan and this procedure and this you know, program. And he points out that even among us, there will be a powerful, charismatic leader arise that the young people will look up to and respect and they will be impressed by them. I can't tell you, young people, it's so easy for them to latch on to a personality, but it's easy for older people as well. But you find people that are very impressionable. But then he says, not only do we have problems in our churches, we have problems in society. The divorce and the erosion of the home. A lot of young people are not being raised like Brittany with a mother and a daddy who really care about her and who actually sat down and talked to her about the kind of problems she might encounter. A lot of children are raised in broken homes. And for them, having a pattern is very difficult. <coughs> Dr. Peterson also talks about the exaltation of a subculture. You've heard of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't think there's a person here who would deny that most of the movies, most of our TV shows, and a vast majority of music reflects a sinful behavior. Drinking, no problem. Taking drugs, no problem. Young people having free love, no problem. You see, here's the problem. He's talking about why do these cults arise? We live in a sin-sick, saturated society that are searching for solutions. And many times, the people who are looking are unwelcomed. It's just like Matthew chapter 21. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the harlots believed him. You see, John the Baptist was a man that these people would look to. And he says... You've got to realize these are the people who saw their need. Let me tie another passage of Scripture with you. Luke chapter 11, and verses 24 through 26. You see, Jesus is talking about a man out of whom an evil spirit had been cast. And then he describes and he says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to the home from, or house from which I came. And he comes and finds it swept and put in order. And then he goes away and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. 
You see, whenever you create a vacuum, there's going to be something that's going to be filling it. When we send our young people off to college and they get involved in things that are wrong and then everybody begins to turn their back, there will be somebody standing there to say, come to me. Dr. Peterson says, that's a cause. That's the reason why cults come to pass. Then, as you begin to look at the characteristics of them, you look and you find generally at the top a very charismatic leader, someone that everybody is going to listen to. And you know, if I go to the Bible, I find charismatic leaders. In Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel is trying to talk about people following the apostles, particularly Peter and John that have been incarcerated. And in Acts 5 and verse 36, he said, For some time ago, Thutius rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all those who obeyed him scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee arose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. I can't tell you how many cults have risen up around a very important person, a very talented person. I know for the young people now, if I mention Jim Jones and the People's Temple, they're like, who was that? But during my lifetime, people died, committed suicide because their leader told them to. Generally, what they will do is have cryptic views of the Bible. And what I mean by that, they will tell you that only the leader can interpret Scripture for you that you cannot understand it, that it's written in some kind of code and that you have to have the code to be able to understand that. And so don't go to the Bible expecting to find the answers yourself. Listen and let us tell you what it means. Jesus made a very important statement in John 7 and verse 17. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He said, if anyone wills to do his will, you want to know God's word, you can, as he said in chapter 8 and verse 32, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Most often, these people will claim to have some kind of revelation given to them. Whether it is Jim Jones, as I mentioned earlier, or whether it is Charles Taze Russell and the Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mary Baker Eddy and the Christian Scientist, or Ellen G. White and the Seventh-day Adventist. These people claim that God has given them some extra message. And yet, when I go to the Scriptures, Jude verse 3 says that we are to contend earnestly for the faith which, now listen carefully, was once for all delivered to the saints. You, you see, it's not as if there's this continuous revelation where God through generations and generations and generations of time intended to continue to reveal His message. No, it was given once for all. In Galatians 1, 6-9, 
I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. There's some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached to you any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Whether it's the apostles or whether it is even an angel from heaven, whoever it is, if they preach a different doctrine, they're to be accursed. You see, another characteristic is their claim. They either claim they are the Messiah or that the Messiah has chosen them as a special person. Maybe he's chosen them as Kip McKean tried to do as be world leader in the International Churches of Christ. When I go to Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus talked about before the destruction of Jerusalem there would be false Christ, false prophets. Do you see when he says false Christ? They're talking about messiahs. They look to passages like Acts 3, verse 22, He said, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. These people will say to you, I'm just another prophet that's been raised up and you've got to listen to me. But in 2 John verses 9 through 11, we are told, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. But you see, another characteristic is to be controlling and brainwashing. Oh, you could spend a lot of time talking about the details of how they do this the isolation from your family, your friends, the separation that occurs. I will tell you that generally they have a rigorous schedule to break the spirit of the individual, to break one down, to say, okay, I give up, I give in, to isolate you from your family and your friends and an intense indoctrination with no room for free thought. Oh, you can't. Decide that for yourself. And then when a person says, okay, I've had enough. I'm ready to quit. Let me tell you what the Boston movement, the International Churches of Christ. You remember when I mentioned to you that Brittany would tell all the details of her sordid affair, the fact that she'd gotten drunk, the fact that she'd conceived a child, the fact that she'd had an abortion. Those people will then look at them straight in the eye and say, boy, it sure would be bad for your mama and dad to find out how bad you've been now. The coercion, the intimidation. And then those people then are destroyed. The people they thought that once loved them, that really was concerned about them, now are using that information to hold over their head. And so they become hostile toward anybody who's not a part of the group. Now, for just a few minutes, I'd like for you to study with me as we talk about confronting it. And you have to realize what kind of battle this is. As Brother Keith read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to 
Let's pause for just a moment and look at those verses. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is, they're not fleshly, they're not physical. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It is a mental, it is a spiritual battle. It's where you have to deal with the minds of people. You have to persuade them. You don't threaten them. You don't coerce them. You deal with it on a rational, mental basis. And one of the things you have to teach your children, be careful with authoritarian, charismatic leaders with people that you become so enamored with that you hang upon every word that they say. You know, that's dangerous in local congregations where people begin to follow a person. You have to make sure that you warn them because if you're not careful, you will surrender your will to someone else's and they can cheat you. For just a moment, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul is dealing with a specific kind of problem in Colossae. And he is warning the congregation against those who might take advantage of them. And here's the way he starts it. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. I'm afraid someone is going to come in and they're going to take persuasive words and just capture you while you keep reading. Paul says, For though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in the Spirit, yet rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built it up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. You see the warning that Paul is saying, be careful of these people with persuasive words. Don't let them cheat you. You have to tell your children, beware of the alcohol, beware of the drugs, beware of these things. But you also need to beware of those people who might cheat you out of your salvation. 
You see, Satan himself even once appeared to be righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, he says, and it's no great marvel, for even Satan himself fashions himself into a minister of righteousness or an angel of light. And then he says their ministers fashion themselves the ministers of righteousness. The truth is, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one that is worthy of our worship. There's not ever been another man walk the face of this planet that is worthy of our worship, that is worthy of our complete and full and 100% devotion. In Matthew 23, verses 5 and following, he talks about these people who want to be called rabbi. He said in verse 8, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Teach your children. And if you're a young person thinking about going to college, and this is part of the reason why this is preached now, recognize there's no one that deserves your unquestioned devotion but the Lord. Christianity is freely chosen, and it is not a coercion. No one should tell you, I control you. The Apostle Paul did his best to try to shape and mold the church at Corinth as God would have them to be. But after Paul had told them, this is what you must do, here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Not that we have dominion, you're reading the American Standard, not that we have lordship over your faith. You see, what I'm up here trying to do is persuade you based upon the word of God. But never should any preacher anywhere at any time be able to have lordship over your faith. Now let's talk about our responsibilities as a family of God, as the church of Jesus Christ. We are obligated to protect those who are weak. For instance, Acts 20 and verse 35, when Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, and he's really gotten past the full discussion, and he's told them in verse 32, he's commended them to God and the word of his grace, He gets to verse 35. He says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. He's talking about supporting them financially, taking care of people who are weak and they can't provide for them. But let me tell you something else. He's also talking about providing for weak spiritually. You say, well, how do you know that? In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Are there people among us who are struggling, who are weak, and find it easier to give in than others? Absolutely. We've got to help these people. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, 
Here's one way that we can do that. Now, I urge you, brethren, note, the American Standard uses the word mark, those who are causing divisions and occasions of offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by their smooth words and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple. You see, the simple are those who simply have not had the education yet. They've not had the experience in life that you have had. And so it becomes an obligation of those who know to mark them. Note that so that young people will not give in. Let me tell you a second thing that we as the Lord's church must do. We have got to be a caring place for all, including those who have committed grievous sins. Now, brethren, I, I want to be honest here. This is where I'm afraid we fail many times. Someone has committed grievous sins, and in our minds, it's almost as if they're worthless now. That there's no redeeming quality within them. That there's no forgiveness for them. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, you say, yeah, that's right. They won't. Verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me ask you a question. Brittany repents. Is Brittany welcome back? Do we put our arms around Brittany and say, Brittany, we know you made a mistake. If your heart is tender and you love God and you want to do what's right, God can forgive you. You see... We have to be very careful that we don't do what the Pharisees did in the first century. I want you to listen to Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciple, What is your teacher? Eat with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are sick have no need of a physician, or those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are we in the Lord's church? the kind of people who recognize that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That there's none of us that is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3, 9, 10, verse 23. 
You see, there were people in the first century who said, Lord, they're worthless. Leave them alone. Walk away from them. And the Lord would not do that because he saw people whose desire it was to change. You know, we tend to think that the culture is so extreme that no one would ever be taken in. Some of you parents, as you're ready to send your children off to school, you may be thinking, not my little Brittany. Not my little John. Oh, they're strong. We, we raised them in a Christian home. They were a part of our youth group here. Never underestimate the power of an influential charlatan. A pied piper. And everybody lines up and follow them. But I will remind you, there is only one that can save, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's because of him that we are here tonight. I know this has not been the kind of lesson that was directed toward an invitation. But never should we get to the end of a lesson without extending the Lord's invitation. Because in an audience the size of this, there's very likely somebody who is on the edge of becoming a child of God. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism is what the scriptures teach. And then you follow Jesus Christ. God adds you to his church. You're, you're a Christian. If you're a child of God and you look in your life and you say, you know what, the, some of the people you described, that's been me. I've been carrying this burden for some time and now it's time for me to unload it. We sing the song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. Would you come while we stand and sing?